Cards win! The Cards win! They walk them off! The Cards win! And they see new life here in Omaha! You're listening to the 3rd and Central Podcast, powered by the State of Louisville. Now, here's Matt McGavick. Welcome, in everyone, to another episode of the 3rd and Central Podcast. The one, the only podcast dedicated to the Louisville baseball program, as always hosted on the State of Louisville Network. I'm Louisville Report Deputy Editor Matt McGavick, joined by Card Chronicle Baseball Contributor Matt Skovic. And Matt, we've, we've got ourselves a busy weekend coming up. I know it's not exactly at its normal time slot in the year, but the Major League Draft is, uh, is coming up, and of course... The Louisville, pro- the Louisville baseball program is hoping to send them send themselves quite a few prospects to the professional level. I, I can't wait to see it. No, definitely, Matt. And like you talked about, you know, it's a different time than it normally is. Um, this year, the draft, they've moved it around because of the College World Series and wanted to get it after the College World Series is over so we didn't have players focusing on the draft while they were still competing for a national championship. So glad to see that it's moved this year, but it definitely presents um, a new set of challenges the freshman class they have moved into campus this week you know they started showing up on Tuesday I believe started classes they started workouts and stuff so you know you've got guys that are in the freshman class that are waiting to see where their name's called so you know do they go ahead and show up to campus and you know get going with classes and get going with workouts do they stay at home and wait till after the draft's over so you know there's a it, it pushes the college athletes back you know it fixed is that problem but I think it just creates a new set of problem with the incoming freshmen yeah I'm sure the coaches from a roster management standpoint they're probably not the biggest fan of this change but you know as a cover as reporters on the sport as fans I love it I always thought it was kind of odd to see the college world series not the college world series the major league draft stuck in the middle of the postseason like you have super regional weekend and then traditionally more often than not the draft is held as a precursor to the College World Series. And I always thought that, you know, maybe that kind of served as a bit of a distraction, especially for a lot of the teams who do make the College World Series field where you're probably going to have like your fair share of blue chip draft prospects going. So from that perspective, I like seeing it move to July from going as a precursor to the College World Series to being part of uh, All-Star Weekend. So getting set up for that, it goes on this Sunday, July 11th. We are recording on, God, what day is it? Was it, is it Wednesday? Is the, uh, Wednesday the 7th. Wednesday the 7th. Good grief. All, all the days just go together. Yeah, we're recording Wednesday night on the 7th. It gets started in just a few days. Sunday, June 11th lasts all the way through Tuesday, July 13th. Uh, day one is just going to be round one plus the competitive round balance A. It's it's hard to describe that. Basically, it's just an extension of the first round, long story short. That gets started uh, 7 p.m., going to be on ESPN and MLB Network. Then dates day two, it's kind of like a setup similar to the NFL draft. It's set up into three days, and then the, the last three days are going to be like the rest of – day one's kind of like the the first round, like the meat and potatoes part of the draft. And then the other two days are kind of in your – the rounds kind of just go flying because mm-hmm. I know that during some drafts I've seen it get, get to like, what, 30, 35, and they announce picks every – five seconds it takes yes they go a lot faster towards the end but anyways i'm going off on a tangent day two starts at 1 p.m and that's actually going to be streamed on mlb.com as is day three which starts at noon but the first the last two days of the draft are going to be streaming online unfortunately it's not going to be um airing on television which is a bit of a bummer but then again when you've got 
20 rounds going off. It's that's kind of understandable. And speaking of 20 rounds, it's definitely a far cry from what it was last year when it was just five rounds. Now right. it's not back to its normal self because the, the major league draft is usually 40 rounds, but considering it's half, I'll take it. I'll take it for now. Yeah, it's definitely much better than the five rounds we had last year. And, you know, not to get into a huge rabbit hole, but, you know, the roster management this year in college baseball is so challenging because we just had five rounds. So I think extending it out to 20 is going to help with the um, rosters being packed full coming back next year in college. Um, it's going to kind of offload some of those players. The seniors this year, they have to move on. They don't have the choice to come back again like they did last year. So I, I think it's going to help coaches manage their rosters going forward because we're going to have a lot of players even if they don't get drafted Louisville's roster is going to look a lot different next year because there's a lot of players that aren't going to be in the program not because they're transferring but just because the seniors a have to leave or they get drafted right it's going to look a lot different Louisville's going to be a lot younger next year and just and just because it's the draft is half of what it normally is there's there's still going to be a fair amount of Louisville guys get drafted or yeah. maybe decide to after their college careers are over sign undrafted free agent contracts, and heading looking into this, I know normally Louisville is looking at close to maybe double double digit guys who can get picked up, and I think this year it's closer to probably six, maybe seven, depending on like like what teams like who. But I think this year you're looking at six, and one of them, and we'll get to him in a moment has very real potential to either tie for the highest draft selection in program history or outright set the record. And of course, people who's e- who've even remotely followed the program this year, they know I'm talking about catcher Henry Davis. At, at some point, he was actually projected to be the number one pick. He was, for, for a brief moment, he was the number one pros- draft prospect in baseball. He, it's, it's kind of fallen a little bit down draft boards. Nothing Nothing because of nothing he did. It's just because this draft class is still loaded at the top. So talking about Henry Davis, before we get into like where like where he kind of sits in the uh, in the scheme of things as it pertains to draft prospects, let's let me just give a rundown of like the top six and this of top six draft order in the draft because this this is gonna pertain to like in this upcoming discussion. So number one overall will be the Pittsburgh Pirates. Number two is gonna be the Texas Rangers. So could be teammates with Nick Solak down there. Right. Uh, number three uh, is going to be Detroit Tigers. I know Garrett Wall is going to hope Garrett Wall is going to be hoping for them <laughs> to pick a uh, pick Davis, but we'll see. Number four, Boston Red Sox. Number five, Baltimore Orioles. Number six, Arizona Diamondbacks. And the reason I went for the top six picks in this draft is because in all of the mock drafts that I've seen in the past week or so. He is projected primarily between picks number four and picks number six. Now, I did see one mock draft have uh, by ESPN's Kylie McDaniel have him projected to the Texas Rangers at the number two overall pick. But that, that was a mock that was done midway through June. The college baseball season was still going on. Not to say that that wasn't accurate. Texas could very well pull the trigger at number two. But I think the, the consensus at this point is that the number one and number two spots, or at least the near consistence, it's not going to be those Vandy boys. It's actually going to be a pair of prep high school shortstops in Marcelo Mayer and Jordan Lawler. So no matter what mock draft you look at now, those are usually like one and two. It's usually Meyer going one and Lawler number two. Right. So when you once you get after that, and a lot of and a lot of uh, mock drafts uh, after those two guys, they're really high on Vanderbilt's Jack Leiter, the right hander there. So, and it, it's hard 
not to see why he hit a phenomenal phenomenal season with Vanderbilt. He had between him and Kumar Rocker, he had a stronger end of the season. So doesn't surprise me there to get him mocked at number three more often than not. So now when you get to picks four through six, that's when things get a little bit interesting. So we've got the Red Sox at four, Orioles at five, D-backs at six. I think one of these teams you can pretty much just take out now, and that's the Orioles. And that's because and I think it was in 2019 is when they took uh, Oregon State catcher Adley Rutschman, right. number one overall. So if you picked him two years ago, why would you pick another catcher Mm-hmm. like two years later now there has been a little bit discussion about maybe him moving away from catcher and i'll get to that here in a second but i think it's either going to come down to the red Sox or the diamondbacks and if i had to pick there I'd, i would like to see him go to the red Sox. nothing against the diamondbacks but i mean if, if a lot of people had to choose between the boston red Sox and the arizona diamondbacks i would much rather be in boston i'd much rather him be in boston one it's a better franchise the, the franchise actually looks competent now right. I, I swear i can't look at my phone at night and see another major league baseball headline saying oh diamondbacks lost another road game <laughs> and, and hey maybe henry davis will be that guy to turn them around and and how could he not he's ranked as the number one four prospect by mlb.com number five by baseball america so if there's anyone that could help maybe turn around a franchise it could probably be him but then again baseball's Baseball is a team sport. It's not like the NBA where one guy can turn around a franchise. So they're going to need to like fill some pieces around him in order to field a competitive team, no matter where he goes to. But he, he's definitely the kind of guy that can turn a program around. And that is because of how multifaceted of a player he is. I agree. And, and you know, looking at that list, I think the, the funniest one on the list would be the Red Sox. Not funny, but where he's a big New York, he's a big Yankees fan. You know, he's from New York. And so is was, Coach McDonald. I, I was watching a video the other day. He was talking about, you know, kind of why he came to Louisville and things like that. And because the connection with him to New York and McDonald from New York and he, uh, Coach McDonald's a big Yankees fan also. So, you know, going to play for uh, the Red Sox after growing up as a huge Yankees fan. I, I, I just think, I mean, you know, growing up as a Louisville fan, I would, you get to choose where you go to college, but I don't think I would ever choose to go play at Kentucky if I was a highly recruited athlete. So, yeah, obviously he doesn't have a choice over that. And if the Red Sox are going to write him a fat check, I don't think he's going to have a problem, uh, you know, strapping up the laces and putting on a Red Sox jersey. But the no. the irony of that would be, I think it would be pretty funny. But I think he would, uh, wherever, if he could go fourth overall, I don't think he cares who is across the front of the chest. Not at all. I mean, just, just to get picked that high is an amazing testament to what he's done. And just looking at his overall body of work and his scouting report, it's, it's, it speaks for itself. I mean, his, his arm out of all the things he's done offensively, and he's done a lot offensively, his best attribute has has been throughout his time at Louisville has been his arm because he, he's got plus accuracy plus arm strength and, in 2021, he threw out 46% of potential base dealers, and over the course of his collegiate career, that was 34%. He's he's really good at pitch framing. He wasn't as good at it in sophomore and junior years, but I remember watching him his freshman year. That was something that really popped out to me, and I'll, I watch a lot of uh, Reds games, and I see I, – I can't help but watch sometimes the catcher try and frame pitches and just do an awful job at it, mm-hmm. but I, I can't remember the last time I saw Henry Davis do an awful framing job, especially with – Especially he, he if so natural while he's doing it, right? Especially if you've got uh, umpires like Angel Hernandez behind the dish, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that was a strike. But <laughs> but but it's enough about the defensive side. On offensively, he can hit for both contact and power. The one knock on him there is that 
he's kind of got a little bit of an unorthodox wing. He kind of yeah. crouch, crouches, kind of scoots into the plate. It's not the most fluid swing. He has a tendency to hit to his pull side and kind of stretch out a little bit. So if there was anything like there was a knock on him, it would probably be there. And then I mentioned earlier that depending on who drafts him, he could get moved out of the catcher spot. And that's because apparently scouts are a little weary of his ability not to catch per se, but to block and to receive, especially against uh, higher quality pitches. That's the one thing that scouts are a little bit weary on. And he's got the, the athleticism and the defensive range to maybe play in the outfield. So if say, if the Orioles do decide to pick him, is he going to come up as a catcher? I don't know. It, it, it really depends on what they think of him at that position. And I think it's kind of like a, a Zach Britton type situation that we saw. Right. Uh, you know, he caught for the first year or two when he was at Louisville. And then last year was a shortened season, obviously, but he moved to the outfield and got drafted in the fifth round out there. So not to say that you know, Henry Davis is going to move to the outfield, but the fact that he has that ability to, and, and the fact that he's still in the top, you know, four, five, six prospects in the entire draft, and they don't really know where they would play him. I think is a testament to his hitting ability because, uh, you know, they'll find a place to put him on the field because he's athletic enough because of the bat that he brings. Um, oh, yeah. You don't have to worry about him batting below the Mendoza. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, they'll take a chance on taking a you know kid up at the top of the draft because they know that he's going to hit. We'll find a place to put him in the field. We can teach him to catch a fly ball. Hell, if, if the Red Sox do draft him, just slap him in the DH spot. Right. Right. That's a perfect spot for him. Right. And – not to take any way anything from Davis, but he's not the only guy who's got first round aspirations too. If, I mean, corner infield Alex Beneldis, he could very well find himself into that uh, conversation because of the uh, end of the 21, uh, 2021 campaign he had. Just, I think he there's a little bit of an interesting prospect there because you can see how well he can be and you can see how bad he can be mm-hmm. because both in his freshman year, and his junior year, this most recent year, he got off to some really like rocky stars. But on the flip side of the coin, on this in the second half of both those years, he got off to tremendous starts. And so like now he kind of falls in between that fringe first round, maybe like second, third round. I know Major League Baseball.com's got him at 65 overall. Baseball America's got him as the number 77 overall prospect. But I mean, he the one thing you can't take away from him is his raw power. I mean, he's got some of the best raw power in the entire draft class. I mean, I can't say the amount of times that we've seen Benelis just absolutely destroy a baseball. And, and I, I just wish some of these colleges on the road had stat track <laughs> that Virginia game. Oh my God. I, that he had to have hit one close to 500 feet at that Virginia game. Cause it hit the top of a 50 foot scoreboard out. In right. The, Broke right the light field. in the, yes. Yeah. He, that was, that, that was close to a 500 foot bomb if, if it wasn't already that far and not only that but the man performs when it matters most yeah he got off to a slow start he didn't perform all that well in the first half of the season that was the first half of the season i mean you're still there's still plenty of baseball to be played in the last let's see 32 games of the season this was his stat line he had 39 for 124 so that's 314 it's not bad and he had 18 home runs and 52 RBIs in a 32-game stretch. 
that were I know this is kind of a small sample size and kind of comparing apples and oranges between college and, and pros, but that works out to a 162 game average average of 91 home runs and 263 <laughs> RBI. So to say he got hot in the final month of the season is an understatement. And not only that, they weren't just empty stats, just pummeling nobodies in the ACC tournament. He had a four hit three homer game against Clemson. And then in that, in that uh, final game against Georgia tech, he had that go ahead home run. And in, in the I believe it was the 10th inning that I thought would give Louisville the lead and maybe send them to the semifinal round. But uh, Louisville fans know how that uh, panned out. And I'm not going to get into that, but long story short, despite some of the knocks uh, that he has in terms of being streakiness and, and some of the defensive questions he has, cause he went from third base to first base. He still, he has a little bit of a stiff throwing motion, but even with those question marks, there's, there's no doubting the power and the clutch ability that he has. I think that's the biggest thing for me is watching him move from third to first this year. He grew a lot as a first baseman. Cause I remember when he first went over there, I was, it, it it was almost painful to watch. You know, mm-hmm. you, you could just tell it was very uncomfortable to him. But if you look at the beginning of this season of him at first base, the tape of the first game he played over there and at the end of the season, he grew substantially as a defensive player. Right. So I don't I don't know where, you know, they plan on using him. It's going to be on one of the corners, wherever he ends up, or or like a DH. I think that may be a perfect spot for him. If he lands up in the American League somewhere, I think a DH position or something would be perfect for him. Because he's definitely had a couple slow starts when he's here. I think uh, one of the podcasts earlier this season, we were talking about Benellis when he had a slow start. And we are like, you know, we should just just start him like 20 games in. You know, right. just, just don't play him for the first 20 games and then just act like game 21 is the first game of the season for him. Right. And or, can, or at least have him come off the bench just right. to get some playing time and not be he's, completely rusty. Well, two years ago, he started six for 33, or yeah, 2019, he started for six for 33 at the plate. And this year, he started two for 31 at the plate. So, you know, the numbers just weren't there at the beginning of the season. But as you talked about, you know, as the season progressed, I mean, he ended up with um, 18 home runs um, over the final 32 games. I mean, when you have numbers like yeah. that, you got to have you got to put the guy in the field somewhere. Yeah. Even with Henry Davis on the team, he still he still led the team in both homers and RBI. <laughs> And right. when you're when you're out hitting the uh, potential number one overall draft pick, you're 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 getting hot, right? You're, and, you're more than hot. You're getting in fuego. And, and you and you did you put up the most home runs in RBIs after starting two for thirty one for the season. So you know there's a lot of production at the end of the season after a, a pretty slow start for him again this year. Right. It's it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I could easily see him sneaking into the tail end of the first round or maybe even uh, the competitive balance round A or whatever that dumb round is called full of 20 yeah. something picks. But anyways, let's enough enough talk about the position players. Let's let's kind of dive into the pitching staff. One that I'm very curious to see, like how how draft day pans out for him or draft weekend rather is lefty Michael Kirian because after losing Reed Detmers and Bobby Miller to the majors, to pair of two first round picks, he has big food, uh, big shoes to fill, but he eventually works his way into the starting role. And, you know, he, he kind of looks good doing it. Uh, he posted an ERA of two nine one over his first nine appearances, struck out 54 batters over 46.1 innings. You know, by all accounts, he looks relatively solid making a transition to his role as a starter. But as with, most players on the team following the cancellation of that pit series and that 10 day layoff, mm. 
He just looked awful. His, his next three starts, he gave up 21 earned runs in 15.1 innings. He was, he was eventually relegated back to the bullpen, and he looked a lot better there. He allowed just one earned run over his final four appearances, all coming out of the pen. And even then, it brought down it brought down his season ERA to 4.8. So that just kind of highlights the struggles he had kind of towards the middle of the season after the pit series was canceled. And it, it was to the point where MLB.com as a prospect doesn't even have him ranked. And Baseball America, America had him from a top 50 prospect somewhere in that range to number 275. And I think the biggest thing with Kirian to me is just – He's just a big guy, and at 6'6", 260, the wear and tear that it takes on your body every Friday or Saturday mm-hmm. night, whatever night you go out there to throw 100 pitches, that, you know, it, it it takes a lot on your body, it, you know, as opposed to throwing, you know, two days a week, but, you know, just throwing the ninth inning, throwing 15, 20 pitches at the most, maybe 30 pitches if uh, Coach Williams throws you out there for a two-inning save or something like that. Right. But, you know, throwing 100 pitches um, – when you're that size, not saying he's out of shape, he's in good shape, but when at that size throwing that many pitches, it, it's just tough on your body. And I, I think just the the long season and that many starts and just sitting out there on a hot Sunday or hot Saturday afternoon, hot Friday night, it, it just I think it just wore on him. And I think the bullpen is the place for him in the future. I hate to see him fall in the um, draft like he has, but uh, I, th- I think he's definitely got a career, but I think it's definitely going to be as a closer bullpen role. Right, and that's not to say that big guys like don't typically pan out as starters. I mean, like one, right. of, the best, one of the best pitchers in Major League history was Randy Johnson, and his nickname was literally the Big Unit. <laughs> like right. there, there's there's a calling for big guys on the mound, but it seems like just based on his overall physique and endurance, he's best suited out of out of a closer role or at least the bare minimum, like a late inning relief type guy, and and. Honestly, it's probably better off that because of his pitching repertoire. He's he's got a good set of pitches. He's got a he's got a two seam fastball, kind of sits in the 91-93 range, a four seamer that goes to the 95-96. It's got it's got solid life to it at the end, and it's common out of left-handed pitchers. He's got a, a pretty good curveball that sits uh, high 70s, low 80s that he can spot really well. But outside of those three pitches, that's really it. I mean, he's got a changeup. But it didn't really have that great of swing and miss stuff, and he didn't use it very often. So when you've really got just three pitches in your arsenal, unless you develop like really develop that change up, or maybe once you get to the next level, incorporate say a slider or like another curve or any type of pitch. Like I, th- I think you're kind of just pigeonholing yourself to be a, cl- a closer because. I mean, because most starters nowadays have at the minimum four, sometimes five different pitches to choose from. And if you've got only three pitches that you can really go to and not really a true secondary pitch, because he kind of like goes in between like the fastball and curveball kind of evenly. I mean, if, if that's what you've got, I think there's no other future except as a closer. Yeah, when you you've only throw when you only throw three pitches like that, you know, as you see the the same lineup the second time. And then the third time, and they're only seeing a couple different pitches. If you don't have that fourth pitch, that fifth pitch, you know, that you don't show maybe the first time around or the second time around, it, it makes it tough because the batters are going up there time and time again, seeing the exact same pitches every time they step in the box. So, you know, unless he develops another pitch, I agree with you. I think the uh, bullpen closer role is probably best suited for him, which I think he can have a long, su- successful career doing. 
he he absolutely can. There's there's no shame in that. I mean, no, obviously, and it, it depends on obviously what teams draft him, uh, what they like out of him, and what how his fit in is with their organization and whatnot. Because I mean, Lincoln Hensman, who I think is one of the best closers under Dan McDonald in his tenure here, I mean, he's a full time starter within the White mm-hmm. Sox organization now. Right. So it it depends on what it's what the team that drafts you likes and and what their end game is with you and what they have planned for your future but kind of sticking to the pitching staff the next guy we're going to talk about speaking about intriguing uh, prospects we've got right-hander glenn albanese who i know among a lot of people kind of raised eyebrows a little bit he was named friday night starter and in the in the starts that he did get in the in the exposure he did get to the mound he looked really damn good Mm -hmm. but the issue was he has a massive massive long list of injury history because before he even got here he had to undergo tommy john surgery so he missed out all of 2018 2018 yeah 2018 i believe it was he looked good as a sophomore and then during the during the 2020 as a as a junior he was used out of just the bullpen so he hadn't developed into a starter yet and he, he still looked pretty good and then once he got to this past season that's when like a lot of injuries really started to catch up and, and plus he got COVID. So he missed some time with that too. But after he came back from COVID to make a couple other starts, um, he started to develop more uh, issues in that throwing elbow. Now uh, an injury was never fully disclosed, but considering it's the elbow that you had Tommy John surgery on you, you want to be as careful with that as you can. I think he only pitched. Yeah. He only pitched, in four years of college, he only pitched 35.1 innings. That is it. I think that's going to be tough for him to, you know, convince a organization to take on that risk because you just – you really, at this point, just don't know how he's going to bounce back. And he – the Tommy Johns was before he got to Louisville. Is that right? Yes. That's what I thought. So – that to be said, I think it's pretty impressive that Coach McDonald and Coach Williams still let him come to Louisville. Most of the time when that happens in the past, and not just with Coach McDonald, but most universities in general, if you have an injury like that, they're going to ask you to go the JUCO route. So they obviously saw something in uh, Glenn that, you know, they want him to come and, um, you know, show what he's worth because they thought he had the ability to do it and play at the ACC level. But it, it just seems like since he's been here, it's just it, it's, it's just been lingering um, since he showed up on campus. So hope for the best of him. But and just from the outside looking in, I don't think it would be a bad idea for him to maybe come back and prove himself that he can throw an entire season and maybe um, increase himself in the draft stock next year and just you know put it off another season. Right, and, and I could see him doing that. But cons- considering the stuff that he has. He's still a very highly regarded prospect. Yeah. Uh, Major League Baseball.com has him as number 225 overall. Baseball America is number 338. And that's because he's he's another big guy. He's 6'6". Six, six, yep. And his go-to pitch is his fastball. It's it's powerful. It's got a ton of spin on it. He, like Kieran, has got a two-seamer and a four-seamer. Two-seamer sits 92-95, four-seamer 96-98. And right. he, can, he does a really good job of maintaining that velocity throughout most of his pitches of throughout most of his start excuse me now of course it's natural for pitchers at any level for your velo to kind of dip as the start goes on but from what from the limited starts that we saw it seems like it 
didn't really have that much of a noticeable dip. So, and he was regularly trying to get in, get it to the 96 to 98 range in like the fifth, sixth, seventh inning. Mm-hmm. And plus he's also got a really high spin rate curveball. He goes from having a 96 to 98 mile per hour four seamer to a 75 to 77 mile per hour curveball, <laughs> And it has a little bit of 12 to six action on it, but, and he, he does a great job with both of those pitches of spotting them really well in the strike zone, has really good control overall. So that that kind of skills, while he doesn't have extensive repertoire as a pitcher like Kirian, it seems like he's able to execute those pitches a lot better than Kirian is. You can definitely tell when he's on the mound that he has it. You know, he's yeah. when he's up there on the mound, you know, like you said, throwing 96, 98, and then dropping a, curveball out of 75 77 you can tell that he has what it takes to throw at the major league level you know he just i think he has to fine-tune some stuff um if he wants to pitch at the major league level but mm-hmm. i think he definitely has the talent he's got the ability there to do it he oh just no gotta question prove that just gotta you know prove that he can um throw an entire season that, that arm is fully healthy and he's ready to go I, I i think he can it's just a matter of just getting healthy and honestly right. having a little bit of luck because right. that's that's what a lot of injuries are, like lucky or just timing. And you hate that for a kid. You know, he's since he's been here, Louisville said he's thrown what thirty five innings. Yeah, in thirty five innings in four years. You, know, you you just hate that. Um, so hopefully he gets the um, right opportunity to prove himself and can uh, get his name called next week. I think he will. Just because I think someone's going to take a waiver on him. Wait, just off where- potential, if yeah, potential alone, he's going to hear his name called. Oh no question, and. Going going away from the pitching staff, one of a more underrated prospect or another intriguing prospect that isn't really getting a whole bunch of whole bunch of talk, at least here locally, is Cooper Bowman, uh, the JUCO guy out of Iowa Western, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. He's over his years in college, his two years at Iowa Western, his one year at Louisville. He's he's displayed he can hit for plus contact. He's got raw power and teasing he's sneaky athletic to use the white guy athletic cliche (laughs) Uh, i mean over his collegiate career he's stolen 60 bases in three years and his speed not not only adds to like speed on the base path it adds to his defensive range in the infield because he played shortstop at iowa western his two years there played second base at louisville and he he's got relatively good control to play he had 32 strikeouts to 23 walks not completely egregious I mean, in this era of baseball that's not unheard of to see that so th- this is someone who a lot of people are really high on uh, majorleaguebaseball.com have has him ranked as the number 171 prospect overall while baseball america has has him coming in at 418 so some people aren't as sold on him some people absolutely love him and he 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 was one of louisville's more consistent batters but that's not saying much on this past team. <laughs> I mean, he he bat 395 in the first 14 games of the season, but in the final 34, it was just 263, which isn't awful. But considering the start he got to, wasn't as consistent. But like I said, it's a lot better than uh, the whole team as a whole. And plus, as far as like defense goes, the arm accuracy needs like a little bit of work. He had the second most errors on the team behind only uh, Lucas Dunn and Christian Napchek. He had seven errors. so. But considering like the speed that he has both defensively and on the base paths and his ability at the play, I think that's something you can kind of like live with the bad. But it, it's interesting 
to see where he falls because it's it sounds it sounds like scouts aren't completely sold on not that's not the right word for scouts aren't can't agree on like what his draft says is because it's obvious he's going to hear his name called based because scouts right. like him but some scouts love him and some scouts some scouts just kind of like him so Which i think it's that's i think it's crazy we've talked about this before just the difference in rankings in the top 25 in college baseball right you know, you've got six different polls and they're all over the place mm-hmm. but and with bowman here mlb.com has him like you said 171 and baseball america at 418 that's not even close no, that's that's a difference of what five, six, seven rounds. Right, like he. And that's not even. They're not even similar. So I don't know. And in, in baseball, it's a completely different animal than any other sport because there's so many different players to evaluate. You've yep. got high school players to evaluate, JUCO, college. There, there's just so many more players than any other sport. So I get that, but that's just a huge. Um, that's disparity. that's huge discrepancy. Yeah, and one thing about. Bowman that really surprised me was his his power that he showed this year at times you know at one point in time they referred to the berm as Bowman's berm because it seemed like <laughs> every home game he was hitting a ball up into the berm I remember that yeah so uh, you know it kind of cooled off at the end of the season but you know looking at him he doesn't look like a player that's going to go up and you know hit a bunch of balls out of the yard but he right. had a um, you know decent amount of home runs this year and, and showed a lot of power so uh, yeah. I think his game definitely translate to the next level like you said, the only thing is the the airs, um, especially yeah. the one at, at Virginia. We won't talk about that one, but um, you know that's definitely easily fixable. So I think his <laughs> right. his game does translate uh, to the next level, and excited to see where he hears his name called. Because at the beginning of the season, I don't think I really had Cooper Bowman on my radar of where he would be drafted this year. I, I think really know much about him. Yeah, some places had him like on their radar, but it was like really low on their radar. Right. They were kind of waiting to see if his skill set at the JUCO level was going to translate to the right. ACC, and by and large, it did. And, and and that's one thing that that's very hard to determine. You you see a lot of JUCO guys come up to the um, ACC SEC level, mm-hmm. and you you never know what you're going to get. You really don't. All right, Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> You walked right into that one. I'm sorry. I did. I did. I, <laughs> that, that, you got me. <laughs> but, but kind of wrap, uh, wrapping up of Louisville's six main prospect uh, draft prospects, at least the ones that I had wrapped up. The, now, now we're getting to the territory of a prospect who could, could get drafted high and could get, not get drafted at all. And I'm talking about outfitter Levi Usher. Now, if a team's going to draft him, there's going to be one thing and one thing only they're going to draft him for, and that is his speed. Mm-hmm. He is one of the fastest players in the entire draft class and possibly one of the fastest players in all of college baseball this past season. He ended up finishing the season with the 13th most stolen bases in Division One, and was 16th in stolen bases per game at, I think, point. 0.53 per game and not only his speed translated both well both on the base path and the outfield he had tremendous range for a center fielder he, he he basically looks like your prototypical center defensive center fielder he's got the he's got the fielding he's got the range he's got a solid amount of arm strength like what if, if you were molding a defensive center fielder it'd be this guy mm-hmm. but the reason that he might not hear his name called is how just lost he seemed at the plate this year. 
I mean, in 2020, that uh, this was a shortened season, so much smaller sample size. In 2020, he hit, he hit his slash line of 411, 484, and 475. That's pretty damn good. Right. Now, well, going in the season, he was pretty much a preseason All-American about all, yeah. most all publications because of the what he showed in 2020. Yeah, because I'm I remember heading into the 2021 season, uh, it was on the preseason Golden Spikes watch list. It was obviously Davis and Benellis, right? But Levi Usher was on there too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what happened this year, but he just, just struggled mightily. He put up a, a slash line of 216. Uh, 353 and 306 and his batting average was above 300 for a whopping four days he 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 it never seemed like it came together for him at the plate because it'd be one thing if he had a low batting average but but he was putting balls in play maybe getting just extremely unlucky with placement but he struck out 47 times or just over a third of his at bats and take, and even when you take into account last season with how well he looks, his strikeout rate was still 32%. So that he's, he's, he's going to be that guy where, like I said, take the go with the bad and the bad happens to be a high strikeout rate. But it seemed that this season, whenever he did put the ball in play, it hardly ever left the infield. All it did was kind of roll over to the, for an easy ground out to the infielders. So there, there's real question marks on his ability to hit at the next level. Now, if, if there's any one of these guys who could benefit from coming back for another year, I think it's him because even, even with how fantastic of and how toolsy he is both on the base paths and defensively, I don't know if the team's going to take a waiver on him because of just how bad he looks at the plate. Yeah, I think it would be really challenging for a front office somewhere to, you know, kind of look at those numbers of where he was this year and kind of take a chance on him. Mm-hmm. You know, but the biggest thing about it, and we talked about this a lot this season, was when he gets on base, you know, it's, it's automatic that he's getting to second, sometimes third. He, he had 29 hits this year and 26 stolen bases. So, you know, when, when he got on yep. base – and he even had that. He, he, I mean, he set the Louisville single game record with, for stolen bases with five against Murray State. The man's and, got speed. <laughs> and I think he was only thrown out twice. He was 26 for 28. Yeah, 26 for 28. Yeah. It's not like he stole 26 bases and had 40 attempts. You know, it, he was pretty much automatic when he stole. So I think if you can, like you said, I, I think it's if he comes back, it may, it would probably benefit him another year um, to show that. You know, that's not his game, you know, and increase his numbers, um, get a little confidence at the plate. You can tell the coaching staff has a lot of confidence in him because they they kept putting him out there. Even with the numbers they had, you could tell Coach McDonald just they, – they know he has it. It's just he, he's got to go find it. Yeah, and I, I think he will, but he, I think he, he'll definitely have to come back for another season to mm-hmm. try and prove it. But then again, I, I would – I wouldn't be surprised if the team wanted to try and draft him towards the tail end of the draft. Right on the on the the potential that he has a bounce back a bounce back season or year or career coming up through the the minor leagues. Right. I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. But it's offer him a little signing bonus and see if he bites at it and take a chance on him. Yeah, I mean it, it's worked for a couple of high school pro, uh, commits of Louisville, so right. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see a, see like maybe a team do that and. Outside of these six, there's a couple other guys who could potentially go. Like 
Lucas Dunn is one that comes to mind. He's got yeah. incredible defensive versatility. He's a he's a plus hit for contact guy. But I mean, th- this past year defensively, he didn't look that great at third base. He had he tied for Christian Napchek with the most fielding errors, and he he his power started to come to form a little bit. But I don't know if it's completely what scouts and front offices are looking for. I could see him coming back another year. I could see him leaving if he gets drafted. And then it, it pains me to say this, but I don't think Louisville's two seniors are going to get drafted. Luke no. Smith and Adam Elliott, just they both kind of struggled towards the end of the season. And I, and I hate seeing that for both those guys because they they both of them poured their heart and souls in this program. At, Elliott was here for five years. He's He mm-hmm. was the the always that high juice, high energy guy to really get the guy going. And, and Luke Smith was the exact same way. He, right. his, his outing against Vanderbilt in the college world series is the stuff of legends. That's the kind of, that's the kind of performance that you want in the postseason. Now. Yeah. Louisville lost that game, but it wasn't due to Luke Smith right close to his fault. And to guy and see both of them kind of struggle a little bit because one of them, let me pull up the stats real quick. One of them was, extremely snake bitten by the home run ball yeah actually both of them were actually uh kirian oddly enough he was the most he gave up the most with 11 but adam and luke both gave up 10 homers on the season yeah and that's rough it, it just sent their era just through the roof it's also hard as a senior to get drafted as well even if you have a, a decent year you just don't have any bargaining power really mm-hmm you know, because if if you don't sign that contract, you you can't go back to school and right. Yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> come back to the draft again next year. It's like this is it. So uh, I, I hate that. It's gonna be really strange watching Louisville baseball next year and not seeing Adam Adam Elliott wearing number four out there on the field because we we haven't seen that for what six years now. Next or next year will be you know be six years since yep. Adam Elliott hasn't been on the field for Louisville. So I think it's gonna be really odd uh, not seeing him out there. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be odd not seeing him out there, and it's gonna be odd not hearing him from the dugout. Right, and that's something <laughs> Matt and you and I've talked about. I think outside of the podcast is just who's gonna bring that energy next year. Yeah, and that we don't need to get into that right now. But Louisville right. has to find somebody to replace not Adam Elliott's stats, but Adam Elliott in the dugout. Yeah, so. that that presence there, the guy that no matter what the situation is. Will bring the juice, will right? Stare, look at the face of danger, and still just get riled up right. and get the team going. But first one out of the bullpen with a big, you know, big strikeout to end an inning or something like that. Yeah, we, we got to find out who that that guy is, right? And and like you said, that's a conversation for another day. We'll we'll get yeah. into that more as the as the off season goes along. And but as far as draft prospects go, this this, this I think that's probably the, you got those six main guys and you got the three kind of pseudo prospects there. I would have said Jack Perkins might have gone to, but then again, he just transferred from Louisville. So I'm not going to get into that. Right. Not. Jack, if you're listening, love your brother. Sorry, but <laughs> I wish you all the wish you all the luck, but I'm not going to dive into you now. But but also on top of the guys that are here, Louisville, Louisville's got a couple of high school guys, like high school commits that could go. One of them we actually just interviewed in, our, in we did. episode 10 of the podcast. That's right. Uh, Trinity out, star outfielder and now Shamrock uh, State champion, Dalen Lyle. He, according to MajorLeagueBaseball.com, is the number 80 prospect in the draft class. Baseball America has him at number 62. And considering his stat line, what was it? Batting average of 550, uh, more, almost as many 
home runs, his singles, has a OPS over two. It's just eye popping stat lines. Just the stupid numbers. stat lines. I I I know I straight up asked him, hey, are you leaning one way or the other? Going going pro or going to school? I, I said, yeah, it's a rhetorical question, so don't actually answer it. Answer it, like what you're gonna do, but you're leaning one way. He's like, Yeah, I'm leaning one way, but like I, I I'll I'll say what he's not saying. There's a 95% chance he's going pro. The yeah. only the only situation I could see him coming to Louisville is if he goes a little bit lower than normal and he gets short-ended on draft pool money. But both of those have to happen. And even if both of those happen, there's still a chance that he accepts that he signs anyways. Because that's – that's if we you're drafted – Good. I said we need to get Tim Corbin up here from Vanderbilt because somehow he convinces first-round high school draftees to come to Vandy every year. So I don't know what he's doing at – well. You know what he's doing down there, but <laughs> I was about to say, you know, damn well what he's doing. It's all those free scholarships. That yeah, say opportunity Vanderbilt. Um, so we know what he's doing, but if we need to get Tim Corbin up here to kind of spread some of that love and then, then we'll see Dalen <laughs> in uh, Louisville Jersey for the next couple of years. But Seriously. other than that, I, I, I agree with you. I, I just don't think the numbers that he put up this year um, where he's about to get drafted, the money he's going to get paid. I, I just don't see it happening. Unfortunately, yeah, I, I, I could see him going to tell him the first, like he he's, if he falls out of the second round, I'll be shocked. I'll be yeah. absolutely floored gobsmacked, whatever insert adjective here. Like he's, He's going in the top two. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. Right. He's got all the potential in the world. He, he if you're going to draft a high school product, th- this is what you want to have an outfitter. I, I, I don't want to say out of a out of a high school prospect period, because obviously there's players like Marcella Meyer and Jordan Lawler that are probably going to go one and two. But you you know right. what I mean. And, and the, if you ahead. didn't get a chance to listen to the podcast with him on it last week do yourself a favor and go listen to it. Not because of us, but because of him. <laughs> um, he's well, just because a, of us too. Right. Because of us too. But he's just a great kid. Everybody I've talked to um, speaks very highly of him and very highly of his family. Uh, very well-spoken. Um, yes. So yes, sir. No, sir. Kind of guy. So just uh, do yourself a favor and go listen to Dalen talk. He's a big talent right here in the city of Louisville. And he deserves all the attention he's getting. 100%. And to kind of wrap up this podcast, there's a couple other high school guys who could end up going? The first one is Will Coger. He's kind of outside of the top 100 by both MLB.com and Baseball America. Depending on where he goes in the draft, I could see him going. Depending on what kind of draftful money he got, he gets. I could see him coming to Louisville. If I had to yeah. pick one or the other, I could. I'll, I'd probably say he would come to Louisville. I think but, so. I, but, I, but I've been trying to do some research. Don't see that he's on campus yet. But he is not is, on campus yet. No, I said. I, um, but that doesn't mean anything yet. Right. And th- then the other one who might go is Ethan Wood, but I'm, I'm pretty sure like he, he's going to come. I think he's on per- campus. He started oh. classes today. Oh, he did. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Just so, throw, throw out the window. He's coming. He's, he's, yeah. Like, he, yeah. So, I mean, there's some dumb teams out there. Maybe someone will still draft him, even though they know yeah. he's not coming to go in pro. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. There's, there's, there's teams like the Mariners out there and the Tigers. Sorry, Garrett. <laughs> but uh but anyways this has been another great episode of the third and central podcast it's always great to kind of talk shop talk about all these great guys that we got to cover during the little season and it's just, it's exciting to get to see these guys start their professional careers yeah i just hope uh, that the reds take one of them <laughs> well 
I'm, I'm curious to see where Davis is going to go, not just to see him go, you know, if he's going to be the highest uh, drafted player in Louisville baseball history. But I think I, I just think the Red Sox component is hilarious. So curious to see where he ends up. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, as for those that don't know, the highest draft pick in Louisville history is unsurprisingly Brendan McKay going number four overall to the Tampa Bay Rays in 2017. I yes. believe. Okay. Yeah. Number four overall in 2017. So if he goes to the Red Sox, it'll tie. If he somehow goes to the Tigers at number three or Texas number two, obviously he's going to be number one, the, the top pick in program history. We'll, we'll see if that happens. I, I, I think he's going to either go number four to Red Sox, number six to Diamondbacks, but we yeah. want to rehash that. So, but it'll be interesting. Uh, kind of like I said earlier, draft starts this Sunday, July 11th. First round, it's going to be at 7 p.m. And then day two and day three is going to be on Monday and Tuesday after that, starting at 1 p.m. on day two. Day three starts at noon. Both are going to be streaming on MajorLeagueBaseball.com. Tune in or at least follow along because there's going to be a fair share of Louisville guys or or those with Louisville connections getting drafted. I'm excited to see it panned out. I'm excited to see where these guys are going to go. Hopefully a couple of them stay. But then again, that's just the self, the selfish fan in me and the selfish uh, journalist in me wanting to cover some more high quality guys. But I digress. Once again, like I said, this has been another great episode of the Third and Central Cod Podcast. I almost said Codcast. I don't know why. I guess I have fish on the brain. But anyways, I'm Matt McGavick, joined by Matt Sikovic, and in the immortal words of Sean Moth, we'll see you at the ballpark. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.